Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Ron Jorlock, and I want to thank you again for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, I'm joined by one of my dear brothers, Dr. John Ewart, who is the Associate Vice President for Global Theological Initiatives at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, as well as a professor of missions and pastoral leadership. Uh, we're going to be talking about church revitalization this morning. Uh, over the years, he has served as a senior pastor, as a church planter, a missionary, and as a revitalization consultant for several churches. And so I'm glad that he's taken some time uh, out to uh, to join us here. Uh, he's got a very busy schedule, and I'm glad we're able to have a conversation. Thank you, brother, for being here. Hey, it's a joy to be here. Thank you very much. All right. So let's start the conversation uh, on church revitalization by first defining what it is. What what do we mean when we say church revitalization? Sure. Uh, church revitalization for me is probably the rediscovery of God's mission for the church. It already exists. Uh, the church needs to rediscover it, uncover it. And then the church needs to develop and implement a contextual vision that aligns uh, the church with uh, that mission in order to fulfill it. And it needs to be a process that's understood and valued by both the leaders and the members of the church. All right. So how, how does a church get to that place? Like how, how do they get to a place when they need revitalization? Are there any type of, of factors that contribute to it? Sure. And there's some classic life cycle diagrams. Uh, Robert Dale in his book To Dream Again and mm. is a classic one that gets maybe overused. But what happens is, is churches normally start off, you know, with a, a pretty clear vision of this is what our mission is. This is why we exist. Mm -hmm. And that leads them into um, what I would refer to as identification, where they know this is who we are. So this is what we believe. This is maybe our denominational affiliation. Everything's moving along. As a, as a, you know, I've planted 13 churches, so I've been a part of that phase too. And that leads you to the contextual plan that I refer to as a vision. And then you have to have structure. You gotta, you know, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on church planning on not, not how do you plant a church, but then what? You know, how do you decide what, you, what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and why? Um, and sometimes those decision-making process set you up uh, in, from the very beginning for mm -hmm. a problem. But then, uh, you know, when everything's going well, ministry's going well, everything's being implemented, and then most organizations find themselves, if they do not take proactive steps at that point, will find themselves in a, a, a portion of decline in some way. Maybe it's, it's qualitative, maybe it's quantitative, maybe it's both. Usually they don't notice until it's quantitative. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of factors lead to that. Part of that is the fact that they have forgotten why. Uh, this is why we are here. And this is who we are, who we're supposed to be, and who we're trying to produce. Mm -hmm. And either they've never had a clear vision for that. In other words, disciple, disciple making, Great Commission fulfillment, uh, the mission of God concepts. Either they've never had a clear concept of that in the first place or somewhere along the line they've been distracted. Um, most churches in the United States of America find themselves distracted often because they, they define success in the wrong ways. Mm. And we, we uh, unfortunately reward them for that. Mm -hmm. um, everything gets defined in some quantitative fashion rather than a qualitative fashion. We say we want to make fruit-producing 
multiplying disciples and fulfill the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. But what we really are proud of is when somebody is big. Yeah. So, yeah. so wrong definitions and wrong directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then y- you can never negate the true spiritual warfare nature of this. The mm-hmm. enemy does not want the church to succeed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the enemy does not want the church to flourish. Um, I'm preaching again through the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts, and I really do preach them as power engagements between the Holy Spirit and Satan. Mm-hmm. He attacks from the outside. He attacks on the inside. He attacks mm-hmm. on the outside. And the Holy Spirit has to come in and save the day mm-hmm. time after time after time. Mm-hmm. And so we forget that true dynamic of what church is. Yeah. Now, I want to uh, drill down a little bit what you were talking about quality and or qualitative and quantitative uh, because you're right. There are several churches that have the numbers, you know, they've got the massive building, uh, and and I and I don't want to, you know, kind of make it a size thing where you know you've got you've got smaller churches that are thriving, numbers, you know, people are coming, kids are going to VBS, you know, and all these types of things, um, and yet they could be rotting on you know on the inside. Uh, what when you're doing your consultation, what are things that you're looking for mm-hmm. where you can say, hey, you know, this is. Uh, you guys were, um, you think that, that this is something that happened immediately, but this was actually brewing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So when we do consultation or I do intentional interims, either one, and at this stage, we've, we've met, had the privilege of consulting with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches and mm-hmm. thousands of leaders around the world, literally at this point, because we don't just do North American consultation anymore. We're involved in international consultation now because sometimes the church overseas has the same problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in our legacy mission fields. And so one of the things that we do is we, we, we have observed, we didn't invent, we have observed what healthy churches do. So what we're trying to do is reverse engineer certain um, phases and, and awarenesses, I guess, uh, of what, here's what a healthy church does, so mm-hmm. let's see how we can duplicate that. Mm-hmm. So, so we do a, a heavy comprehensive assessment, you know, that's part of what we need to do. <clears throat> and, the, and the frustrating part about that is that most churches don't. Statistically, only 20-something percent of churches in North America would do any long-term strategic planning at all, and so assessment isn't a part of their life. And so most church leaders, I'm afraid, and this, isn't, this is not a statistical survey, so I want to be careful when I say the word most, but most church leaders that I encounter um, are doing one of two things. They're reacting to the latest crisis or they're repeating something on a calendar. Mm. And so part of what we're trying to do this is to get them out of that mindset, mm-hmm. to, to really go back and begin to ask the important questions. So we, we need to go back and, and say, this is why we exist. This is who we are and who we're supposed to produce. Now what do we need to do and how do we need to do it? Mm-hmm. So, so large churches are not necessarily bad at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some large churches out there that have high quality. Sure. And, and I believe, and my own pastoral experience proved, that high quality should lead to quantitative growth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what I want to see churches uh, working through is a, a, a high qualitative drive with the expectation of quantitative growth, mm-hmm. not quantitative growth with the hope that that produces qualitative mm-hmm. growth. Mm-hmm. And point. so because, because one of the lines I say, and that, you know, and there's, part of this is a little facetious, but that's part of my nature too, so... Um, and that is, you know, all you really need for a crowd is money. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Swift broke the internet mm-hmm. when her concert tickets went on sale, and that's going to happen every time. She'll fill every coliseum she's ever in. Mm-hmm. And I tell churches, especially in the southeastern part of the United States, and 
the listeners are going to groan when I say this name, probably some of them. Some of them are going to cheer and some of them are going to groan. But I don't care how old he gets. I don't care how long his career is in the past. You pay Tim, Tim Tebow to come preach in your pulpit Sunday mm-hmm. morning in the southeastern part of the United States, and your church will be full. Sure. So, so drawing a crowd may or may not bring glory to God. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of crowds throughout history that were not God-glorifying. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it doesn't mean that we dismiss large crowds. Mm-hmm. You know, we want more people to come. We want more people to hear the gospel. We want more people to be baptized. We want more money to missions. We want more, we want more churches planted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there ought to be a qualitative drive. And so that's what we work on. So what we do, <clears throat> which is lacking in a lot of places, every, a lot of people do quantitative assessment, and that's easy. And mm-hmm. we do that. So part of what you're asking is we will go back 10 or 15 years if the church is that old, mm-hmm. and we'll show them that the decline started you know, a long time ago, that mm-hmm. quantitative part. But then what we're trying to ask is this is a symptom of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, quantitative issues normally are just symptoms of qualitative problems. Sure. So we're trying to get to what those are. We want to get to the disease. Mm-hmm. And then so we do qualitative assessment with interviews and surveys. Um, and and certainly spiritual and biblical uh, and theological conversations as well as teaching. Mm, mm, that's good. That's good. So so let's say there's a pastor. Uh, you know they they see the need in the church. They see they recognize this is going to be a revitalization uh, effort. It's going to be revitalization work. Um, and and they accept the call. They say, all right. You know I believe God wants me to go there. Let's do some things. Um, how or well, both two things, I guess. When should a pastor who is revitalizing begin implementing some changes, and uh, and and exactly, you know, how kind of what in like in what order or so? Sure, sure. So in in the model we use, and again, there's nothing uh, nothing that creative about this model. It's actually an observation. Mm. Uh, what what we observed with healthy churches is is if you can imagine the bell curve, they know how to stay on the left side of the life cycle. And so the way they stay on the left side of the life cycle is a constant rotation back to the mission. Hmm. Uh, there's a constant evaluation and assessment process where they're constantly going back and remembering why they're there. So, so for the new pastor coming in, procedurally, um, you know, we, we want them to uh, go in with this strong knowledge and belief, faith in the mission of God. Mm-hmm. The church doesn't need a mission. It doesn't need to define its mission. It has a mission. It's already mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I refer to them as train tracks. They're already pre-laid. They're there. Mm-hmm. So the goal then is, is what is our contextual vision to fulfill that mission in this place? And that's extremely contextual. So it depends upon depends on where you are and who you are and who these people are. I mean, some churches almost have no critical mass left. Others, have, you know, others are, are still pretty good churches, but mm-hmm. they just need to take those next steps. So there's a lot of contextualization. So you got to do assessment. Mm-hmm. You got to come in and figure out who you really are, where you've really been, do, do some assessment about your community. So for me, change is step five. And I emphasize that. It doesn't mean that sometimes there might be emergency, urgent, change and things have to be addressed, blatant sin, et cetera. But from the process standpoint, I want you to come in and acknowledge the mission, number one. I want you to then work through some assessment. Then I want you to work through some identification. In other words, if assessment tells us this is where we've been and, or, and who we've been and who we are now, identification is going to tell us who we ought to be. Mm-hmm. So this is goal. These are the goals. Mm-hmm. These are the core competencies. Mm-hmm. Then you move through the vision development. So what's the plan? 
based upon those two things. Now we have a pretty good, acknowledgeable, um, we've lawyered up well, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we've done our homework. We're not just having opinions. We've met with other leaders about this. Now we can move through adjustment or change. Mm-hmm. And by then you've built a coalition for it, so you're mm-hmm. not going to get yourself killed mm-hmm. uh, as easily. You may still get attacked because Satan's going to do that. Sure. Because the other side of this is, I mean, the very first thing a pastor needs to do is pray. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't say that flippantly. Mm-hmm. It, 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 that's crucial. If the, if the leader's walk with God is not right, this is a hard road, mm-hmm. and, and he's not going to do a good job standing up in it. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of a time frame, uh, just your typical observation, how, how long do you think it, that process is before you actually get to changing things? Yeah. So to really start changing things wholesale, I mean, again, you may find some blatant things up front. I mean, somebody might need to be fired right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, some, somebody might need to be hired right away. I mean, there, there are emergency situations. Mm-hmm. But for us to get to that, to get to that actual adjustment phase, you're, you're probably – um, six months to a year in anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, and, 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 and I say that in six months may sound fast, mm-hmm. but that's because it's a very intentional six months. Yeah. And part of what we make sure is that, you know, we're trying to create this concept of understood value. Mm-hmm. We want the church members to understand this is what we're doing and why and when. Mm-hmm. So we're working through this. So everybody hang on. Yeah. We're working through this theological, biblical process of mission and even identification, but we're also working through this assessment process. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking to people. We're going to get all the information we can get. Then we're going to come together as a leadership team, work on a plan together. It's pretty much, you know, it's very much Act 6. They had a problem. They worked out a plan. The congregation mm-hmm. liked it. Mm-hmm. So, and it just takes a little time to do that homework. It takes a little time to do that research. And in the meantime, what I'm doing, again, is, you know, I'm preaching through some passage. Chuck Lawless, our dear friend, would use the book of Ephesians mm-hmm. in his book, Discipled Warriors. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm preaching through those first 13 chapters of Acts because I want them to see the church at Antioch as well as the church at Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, look, here are these two biblical churches. They were far from perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny when pastors say, I want to be like the early church, and I look at them and say, oh, you're just like them. <laughs> they fought over money, food, yeah. all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. so but, but I want to get to these two churches to help them to understand, here are some of these characteristics. Here are some, you know, God was blessing them, and God was using them. And so to some degree, we really are... It's like holding up the old football and saying, this is a football. But mm-hmm. we've got to go back and say, this is a church. Yeah. Because you've got to define church, church membership, discipleship, personal transformation. What really is our definition of success? Mm-hmm. And in the process, you're also building up that relational capital. Absolutely. Yeah. What, for the new guys, crucial. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to be a better – you know, I'm a missiologist, so, of course, I'm extremely biased. I can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Culture, context, relationship, learning the language. Uh, learning the people, mm-hmm. and that might be in Arkansas or it might be in Africa, you know. Yeah. And so, what does that mean? And and um, and so, how do I develop the relationships? And you know, and and I don't say a lot of positives about myself, um, but but in my pastoral life, I think the way I avoided getting in trouble is that my leaders were my best friends. Mm. You know, I don't have deacon jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my deacons were my buddies. Mm-hmm. We worked together. We were in the foxhole together. But they knew why we were there. Yeah. And I brought, and they weren't kept in the dark. So there was good communication. And you've got to build trust with these people in order to change. You know, change mm-hmm. is hard without trust. Mm-hmm. And trust takes time plus experience plus love. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Now you mentioned you know, your uh, deacons as your best friends and uh, and and so on. We we also know, of course, uh, that there are plenty of pastors when they start tinkering. You know, they start they start messing with stuff. Uh, you know, maybe the deacons, it may be you know the church members, you know, or what. But there's going to be some pushback, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there there's going to be conflict. Uh, you know, I I, I know um, uh, a guy that we we talk about a lot, Todd Bolsinger, uh, in his book uh, Tempered Resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about he, there's a quote in there where he says it's not that people resist change, it's that they resist loss. Yeah, and, that's and, good. Yeah, anytime we talk about uh, uh, changing things, anytime we talk about uh, uh, implementing new vision or new strategy or new processes and so on, there's going to be pushback. You know, uh, there are going to be people who will try to sabotage uh, what you're doing because they don't want to lose whatever that is that they that they value. Going back to what you're talking about with with uh, understood value. Um, so, how does a pastor push through that? Like, how does he push through the pushback? Well, there's no question that um, I don't think it's by accident that, you know, I teach church revitalization courses, but also teach Ph.D. Con- uh, uh, seminars on conflict. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, it's probably somewhat unavoidable uh, to escape all conflict in church revitalization. Uh, you know, growth always produces change. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, there are people who just are going to fight change no matter what. So for me, the wisdom that I try to share and that we experience and we observe is by walking through some of these processes and tempering the pace of your change with the context and working together as a team through these identification and vision development phases that by the time you get to adjustment, by the time you get to change, you really have built a coalition Mm -hmm. to where, you know, one of the dumbest things, uh, being from eastern Oklahoma like I am, I have a certain way of saying things sometimes, but I always think it's pretty dumb to climb out on a tree branch and throw people running chainsaws. (laughs) And so what I want to (laughs) do is I want them to be on the tree branch with me Mm. or I just assume be down on the ground with them. Yeah. And so how can we be together as much as possible? And so then what I what I pray I guess happens at that point when it's inevitable that the people who are upset about the change are more individuals rather than groups of people, mm-hmm. you know, to where you have used biblical wisdom and truth and facts from your assessment to be able to say this is why we need to change. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the worst one of the worst leadership efforts is, is such a le- level 1 leadership thing is to say I'm the pastor that's why. So you, mm-hmm. that's just that's just not going to work. Yeah. Like the so, dad that says because I said that's so. Because I said so. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if we can get up to that level 3, you know, if I'm using Maxwellian stuff there, sorry, but you get up to the kind of the leadership by uh, by production idea to where we're actually working on something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. But there has to be an understood value of that bigger thing. Mm-hmm. That's why understood mm-hmm. value is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Consumers are going to spend their resources, best time, best effort, best energy, and their money on the things they value. Mm-hmm. So we need to make church valuable, mm-hmm. and we need to make this new church idea valuable. And so it takes time. It's preaching. It's teaching. It's breakfast. It's lunch. Yeah. It's relationships. Mm-hmm. It is. And to identify you know, real opposition and, you know, learn to address it. You you know, you may have to go and have meetings with those people who are mm-hmm. the strongest opposers and help them to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So what do you say to someone who is who's listening uh, to our our conversation here? That's interested in church revitalization. What what are some things that they need to consider, kind of going into uh, into such a such a work? Yeah, and this answer may surprise whoever hears it because I say the same thing to church planters. Mm-hmm. When I teach um, church revitalization courses or church planning courses, you need to know what a church is, mm. and you really do need to have an understanding of what the Bible really says a church should be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and not lose sight of that profile um, because you're going to hold everything up against that. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you need to recognize that, again, your own personal walk with God better be strong. Mm. Um, church revitalization will eat you for lunch. Yeah. Um, and um, you, you, you need to... Uh, Make sure your family and your personal prayer life and your Bible study are really solid. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I just can't overstate that. Mm-hmm. The people who fail um, fail normally because their faith is not strong enough. Because mm-hmm. this takes faith. Mm-hmm. You, you have to believe that God owns his church and wants his bride to be a certain way. Yeah. And, and that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And so when I go in here, I recognize that these you got to think about these people um, because you talk about loss, which is great. Mm-hmm. But you've got to think about why, why and how they got there in the first place. And I, I don't want to label them as victims mm-hmm. because that probably gets them off the hook a little too much because mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. this is their fault. Sure. But at the same time, sometimes there's stories about leaders in the past Sometimes there are actually external factors that played into it. And so to really think through how did they get here in the first place, and most of the time I find a hurting flock of people that are starving to death. Mm. And so they need the Word of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, your preaching needs to be solid. Your teaching needs to be solid. It needs to be focused. And then if you're not any good at pastoral care and relationships, church revitalization is going to be really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. This is not some robotic mechanical process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need to know that Brother John loves them, yeah, and that Brother John loves the church and loves Jesus, and that we really are trying to work on a better future. So, so much of this is not that you know. You, there are a million books, mm-hmm. you know, and four new ones will be written this week because mm-hmm. it's a new cool thing, yeah. And um, and so you can read all the principles and practices, and there's plenty of them. Mm-hmm. And, and most of them are probably fine. You know, yeah. they're okay. There are yeah. probably some that are a lot better than others. But it's really, this is a spiritual dynamic. Mm-hmm. Go back, and I'm, when I say the book of Acts is a power engagement story between the Holy Spirit and Satan, that's what church revitalization is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, we, we were in a small church, was um, pastoring that church, and really having dreams of revitalization and, and so on. And I was just thinking big big scale, you know, what could the church be in this community and and so on. I remember there was one Sunday, I was starting a series on the Trinity. So I just thought, let's get on the same page on, you know, who we're talking about when we say God. And so I had the first message just introducing the series, just setting definitions. This is what we mean when we say Trinity. Mm -hmm. And therefore, this is what we mean when we say God. Uh, And so I'm preaching this message. 
And I get a text uh, from one of the ladies that was in our children's ministry that just happened to be there that Sunday. She was off on the rotation and everything. And so she was uh, there for the sermon. And she texted me and she goes, wow, brother, thank you so much for that, for that message. I'd never heard anything like that before. And, and, and she's like, and it just made so much sense of, 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 of other scriptures. Oh, my goodness, this was great. And, of course, I'm feeling all good about myself. You know, man, that, that must have been a really good message, you know, and, and all that. It wasn't until about dinner time, I'm still mulling over this text, that it hit me. Wait a second. This lady's in, I think at that time, was about in her 50s. And she had been going to that church since she was a teenager. She started going in the youth when she was a, a part of the youth group. So you mean you're talking probably 30, 35 years of messages that she had heard in that church. And this was the first time that she had ever heard a message on the Trinity. Yeah. And that that completely upended uh, what I felt was my responsibility there as, as, as a pastor. Um, yeah, I still wanted to, to see kind of the end goal, you know, of all of those things. But first things first, it was just, do you have any clue what we're talking, <laughs> what we're talking yes. about? You, you, yeah. you need to assume biblical illiteracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, if, and if they're not, great. Mm-hmm. Then we can move faster. Yeah. But if you think they're going to appreciate you changing their weekly schedule, or you're talking about doing something with their small groups, mm-hmm. or you're talking about changing staff, or or something about the finances, and they don't have a clue what the church is supposed to be. Yeah, you're, you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. So I was in a church one time, and you know I I preached through. I I don't want to be so redundant about my preaching through Acts. I preached through other things too. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was in the, I was in the Ananias and Sapphira story. Mm-hmm. You know, give your money or die, mm-hmm. uh, which is not how I preach it. <laughs> but it was the first time they had actually heard. I was actually talking about the stewardship of life, mm-hmm. you know, because their sin was lying. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we also talk about, and I talked about money, mm-hmm. honestly, in the sermon. And I've I had people come up to me and say, 10 years, never heard a sermon on money here." Wow. And uh, and you and and they're broke. Mm-hmm. The church was broke. Mm-hmm. They were in debt. They, they weren't meeting budget. Their stewardship was horrible. And so, but they were too afraid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of this is a, a fear versus faith kind of thing to recognize that you, you, you are a servant, but also have to be a champion of certain causes. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to have to really push uh, some people to think differently than they have. Um, but, uh, but for me, again, I think one of the keys is if I do this good assessment up front, I come from a long line of lawyers, so I think like this. I say, and I really have this evidence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you can tell me you don't want to change, but I'm showing you visually, graphically, mm-hmm. how how bad the decline is. Mm-hmm. And so you really do get into the definition of insanity. Yeah. Of if you don't believe you need to change, then here's what I think is going to happen to you within the next five years, mm-hmm. kind of idea. And you're not going to exist. Yeah, yeah. And so your option is to die or to change in some of these situations. Not all of them are that bad, but most of them I deal with are, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. by the nature of who sends me people. Yeah. And even just the basic question of if you don't think things need to change, why am I here? Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And, I mean, and, and you're just ignoring and people will do this. You know, people uh-huh. create false truth. I mean, they create perceptions far more powerful than reality. And some people, you know, I talk about manageable stress level. Some people are maxed out when they hit the floor in the morning, and so they can't handle 
They can't handle anything else. Mm -hmm. And so in their minds, this church was good enough for grandma, and it's going to be good enough for me and my kids, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to change it, probably in honor of them Mm -hmm. and probably in honor of grandma um, instead of what we would call the mission or the Great Commission or, you know, discipleship. Yeah, yeah. So we, as we talked about revitalization uh, and, and you know, what are the signs for revitalizing, what a pastor should consider as he enters into a, rev- a revitalization effort and so on. But there may be a question that's kind of lurking in the background, and that's what happens if a church just simply shouldn't be revitalized? Is that, is that a thing? You know, yeah. uh, should every declining church uh, be revitalized or is – is there an appropriate category where you say some churches yeah. probably should just cl- uh, sh- uh, shut their doors? Yeah, and the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether I want to be prescriptive or descriptive at mm-hmm. this moment in the sense of, because um, I don't want listeners to jump to a conclusion, but there are practical points of critical mass mm-hmm. and also of attitude and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, I've helped churches shut the door and lock the door for the last time. Mm. Uh, they stood in the parking lot and wept. They could not physically turn the key in the door, mm. so they made me do it. Um, I have suggested and helped churches with merging. Mm-hmm. Um, we may talk about replanting here in a little bit, and, sure. and so sure. we we can talk about those angles as well. Mm-hmm. But there are some cases, you know, I ask questions. This is the part that I'm... Who cares? So I ask questions to every single church I work with, and the very first question I ask him is, is are you still really a biblical church? Mm. And can you prove it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking them about websites and buildings and signs and programs or how many people show up for something. Mm-hmm. I'm asking them, are they fulfilling some of the biblical characteristics of a church? You know, one of the issues is the New Testament doesn't have a verse that says this is the church. So right. you have to work through examples. You have to work through characteristics. You have to work through narrative sometime mm-hmm. to pull together this mosaic picture of what a church ought to be. And, I, and, I, and do you meet any of those qualifications? And then the second one, and you know, of course, there are always yes, 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 yes. But then the second question I ask them is harder. I said, are you really making fruit-producing, multiplying disciples, and how do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I make them answer those questions to me. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, I'm trying to set the stage of, you know, do you think you should be, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're not, then why are you still here? I was once, I was once in the Kiwanis Club mm-hmm. uh, in a little town. My very first senior pastor, I'd been the associate pastor of everything. My very first senior pastor at Little B Town, and we had a Kiwanis Club. We had a mm-hmm. dedicated space, had a mm-hmm. sign out front, had a schedule for meetings. You had to show, if you didn't show up, you had to pay, uh, pay dues. And if you weren't there, you, they'd come looking for you for your dues. Wow. Uh, I've often told churches that's how we ought to do tithing. But <laughs> I'm kidding. But, 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 and we did community events. Uh, we, we, you know, we did all kinds of wonderful social humanitarian things. Uh, we did the strawberry festival. I can make a mean strawberry shortcake, you mm-hmm. know, but we weren't a church. Mm. And so some of these churches have, you know, digressed into uh, – very little more than survival clubs of mm-hmm. relationship for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you you brought up replanting, brought up merging, and so on. How how does that fit into the revi- revitalization effort? Yeah, for some, it's the it's it's the only way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. It's the primary track of church revitalization. Um, I I have colleagues like that, and no organizations like that. 
it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the primary thing that I do, although I have been involved in it. So replanting for me, and I, I, I don't want to speak for those who would probably say it's more than what I'm about to say, so mm-hmm. I, this is with a disclaimer. Replanting is one of those situations where there's a real critical mass issue. Mm-hmm. And the church is not going to be able to practically, logistically survive um, on its own. And so it either needs to, and I, I, I've actually had students here who merged churches um, uh, successfully. But so, that, so you either need to find somebody else to join with, mm-hmm. and it's hard. There's a lot of work to that because sure. I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone, and you know, who's the leader, what's the Constitution of bylaw, I mean, all these different things. And even in certain states where you live, your incorporation mm-hmm. processes become affected by this. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff. But that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the persuader. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this is still a spiritual question in the sense of, can we still minister best to this community if we were to join forces? Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope it's not simply the ship sinking and it's going to sink with, you know, if we don't do something. I hope there's more than that, although yeah. there is that. Mm-hmm. The ship is sinking, um, and there's an understanding. Replanting similar. It's just different in the sense that there are various forms of replanting. You know, uh, the most popular form that we probably read or hear about is where you, in a sense— turn over the church mm-hmm. to uh, new leadership, and the, the church is rebranded even to a certain degree, perhaps repolitied, re recodified in documents, and the original members are encouraged to stay if they yeah. would like to, usually, uh, and some do, some don't usually, but then there's kind of a new church in the same location. The name often would change everything about the church stylistically, perhaps, um, would change, and several things um, about it would be very different. So, nor- you know, the normal stereotype, and I don't, I don't know what that means really, but you'd have a very traditional church probably with older people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these folks are really wonderful people who want something better to happen. So it's not necessarily a hostile takeover, and a lot of times mm-hmm. this is a really friendly, uh, happy experience to where they they see the legacy of the church they've known living on in a new life, in a mm-hmm. new form. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really, really profitable. And, of course, our North American Mission Board is really working on this. And uh, our Center for Great Commission Studies here um, talks uh, much about this, too. So. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a it's a it's a great form. It 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 tends to be an urban experience more than a rural one. Although I don't know that that's exclusive. But you think about the community church in a neighborhood. The neighborhoods probably changed. The church is not, mm-hmm. and uh, they have resources. They have probably a debt free building. Mm-hmm. And so why let that become a bar or a restaurant? Let's yeah. let's let something else happen. And so, is is it going to be turned over to perhaps an ethnic? church, or is it going to be, you know, a, a, a replant, uh, you know, perhaps the same language, same cultural dynamic to some degree, but but certainly different dynamics within the church. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would much, it would meet the community, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are some good resources that you would recommend uh, for yeah. revitalization, for really all that we've talked about? Sure. Um the the problem today is, or really the blessing, I guess I should say it that way, is that there are a, a ton of resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of books written. So let me let me talk in, in general for a few minutes, and I'll name a couple of books. Okay. Um, you, you need to be careful about the genre of books within church revitalization you're going after. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of how-to checklist kind of things, mm-hmm. and those may be helpful, but I don't think they ought to be exclusive. Sure. Um, I, I really think you need to look at some books uh, and some resources that are going to give you a much stronger biblical theological foundation, right? And so there's a... Um, uh, Dr. Andy Davis's book is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Reader is mm-hmm. uh, uh, his book, "Remember to a Flame," yeah. is a good book because they're they're biblical. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, you start off with this really solid Bible base, um, and uh, they're not new books anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're older books, and and so and I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at some of the procedures and methodologies, but but just like in the church growth movement which is where my a lot of my doctoral work was focused years ago, uh, there was a, there's a copycat syndrome. Mm-hmm. And as a missiologist, I just want to fight that. Sure. Don't, don't assume that because Brother John did one, two, and three over here that we need to do one, two, and three over, he, over, mm-hmm. over where we are. Mm-hmm. You need to contextualize your, your process, which is why you need to start in Scripture because it's super cultural. It's super yeah. contextual. Yeah. So, so these biblical and theological principles are going to help us lay it out. Then we need to really take a look. And this is where, you, and you've heard me say this a million times, but you know, if the mission of God's the train tracks, then the process is building a train. Mm-hmm. And some trains are long and some are short, some are fast, some are slow. So you've got to build your own train. Quit mm-hmm. copying somebody else's train. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what train do you need to build in your place? Mm-hmm. So some of these resources, there are a lot of books out. I like you know, what Chuck Lawless is doing. I, I, you know, I worked with Tom Rainer for mm-hmm. a, a long time, and so there are some uh, affordable uh, uh, resources through Church Answers, you know, mm-hmm. the ministry that he and Chuck Lawless is still affiliated with that, mm-hmm. that Tom and Sam Rainer are doing. And these resources, they have, you know, not only podcasts and, and uh, you know, virtual uh, conference panel type experiences, but they have actual uh, evaluative tools. You can download community studies. You can mm-hmm. download church studies. You can download leadership evaluations, mm-hmm. and they're about as affordable wholesale unless your state convention and your denomination can get them to you for free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So part of what I do say to Southern Baptists, I would say, outside of Southern Baptist life, I don't know. Uh, even though I work outside of Southern Baptist life a lot, um, uh, a lot of our state conventions and even our associations have free resources, mm-hmm. and they have teams of people, and most of them have been trained by pretty good people. And so don't neglect um, your association. Don't neglect your state convention. Don't neglect NAM. I mean, there, there are some really solid resources. And, and in many of these cases, you know, there is no budget line item for church revitalization or church consulting mm-hmm. in, most, in most churches. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's hard sometimes for them financially to do this. So they need affordable resources. Mm-hmm. But I would start off by reading, uh, I'd read Davis, I'd read uh, Harry Reader. Uh, you might read even read Chuck Lawless's Discipled Warriors. I think his Ephesians model is very helpful for a healthy church. Mm-hmm. You really need to be working on the healthy church models. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, uh, and then the list gets really long. Yeah, yeah. 
That's good, though. That's a good start. That's a good start. Any final words of encouragement for pastors, church leaders, yeah. revitalizers? Yeah. Um, I think my word is, is almost every single church needs revitalization to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no perfect church. All revitalization is, is um, the reviving of the right life within the church and the refocus on the mission of God and, and how we're going to pursue that. If you know, part of part of my struggle is if you're out there, I, I'm dealing almost 100 percent of the time with uh, unhealthy leaders, mm. and uh, they got unhealthy for several reasons. Some of them I would even have stronger words for, probably. And so, your leadership needs to be focused upon the Lord. Don't forget, God never gave up ownership for His church. In mm. Matthew 16:18. He says, upon my rock, I will build my church. Mm-hmm. And in 1 Corinthians, when he's, you know, somebody gets to plant, somebody gets to water, mm-hmm. somebody gets to harvest, but in the end, God causes the growth. Yeah. And so we really got to stay focused on whose who's this is. And that also applies to me. So that means I'm not in this by myself. So be encouraged by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some dark days. I was the fourth pastor in six years of a church. And, man, I didn't know what to do. We, we, we were... We were in debt. We, we had nobody there left. Didn't have any staff, didn't have any deacons, didn't have ministries, didn't have a budget. Had a big building with a massive amount of debt. And in less than five years, we were one of the most evangelistic churches in North America and one of the top ten baptizing churches in our state. Hmm. God did a miracle. Mm-hmm. And that's not because of me, mm-hmm. but I believed. Mm-hmm. And one night, when I was alone in that building, and man, I didn't know what to do. I was just weeping in a dark fellowship hall. Mm. He slammed me upside of the head with Matthew 16. And then the last thing I'll say is he then pushed John 15 right on me again, too. Mm-hmm. And he says, listen, big boy, I'm the vine, mm-hmm. and you're just the branch. And if you'll abide in me and I in you, mm-hmm. then we can bear much fruit together here. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. There's your word. Yeah, This is his plan, and he's got one, mm-hmm. but we've got to follow him. Yeah. Dr. Ewart, thank you so much for, uh, for the encouragement. Thank you for this conversation. Uh, thank you for joining today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. And I want to thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful, why don't you consider leaving us a five-star rating and review? We'd love to hear any feedback that you're willing to give. As always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that with today's conversation. So as always, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.